Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I lived and worked in the southern coastal town of Albany in Western Australia for a number of years where my job required me to travel to various rural communities around the region. I was returning home along a very flat and long stretch of Albany Highway in the afternoon when I had to overtake a farmer in his old ute, Australian for pickup truck. So far, so very typical of traveling along your average country road, but as I pulled in ahead of him, I checked my rearview mirror as I always did and even though this happened over 25 years ago, I can still vividly recall the absolute confusion when I saw there was no car behind me on the road at all. This wasn't at night, but about 1 p.m. in the afternoon. There was no sun in my eyes or shadows on the road or any roads he could have suddenly turned down. I was easily going around 110 kilometers an hour, which meant he was going about 9,100 kilometers. I literally looked up into the rear vision mirror as I pulled into the correct lane so I cannot believe he could have slowed down and turned into a side road at that speed, or without me seeing him. No trees, flat paddocks both sides. I'm still absolutely flummoxed 
to this day as to what happened. Even as I'm typing this, I'm pretty creeped out remembering how it affected me. It really was like something out of a Stephen King novel. This is the first time I have recalled this story since it happened weird and bloody creepy, but true. Robert and I were riding our Vespa motor scooter. We had been coasting down, and then the road arose, and we kicked on the motor. As we approached the level overlook area of a clear cut about the size of two football fields, before us, as the far end of field, down below near the trees, arose from fetal sleeping position of Bigfoot. It looked at us and headed south with swinging arms. It passed a stump, then several feet later it took one step up into the forest. We almost fell off the bike trying to get camera binocs and understand what we saw. It was big, certainly not a gorilla with a flat face. Robert required we explore the area. So we walked down several feet of clear-cut rubbage to road along the trees. We saw where he had been sleeping, but nothing else except the stump he passed was eight feet tall, and he was chest high over it. Where he went into the forest, the single step was three feet tall or more. Yikes! We reported and were recorded with Bigfoot researchers. They said that they believed us, particularly because the Bigfoot is known to be nocturnal. Day sleepers. But no one had yet seen one sleeping. This happened around 1994 in Massachusetts. He was tall and skinny with a cowboy hat. A dark silhouette with a hallway lit behind him, leaning against the doorframe, watching me from the hallway, looking into my bedroom. Made my breath go away, and then I was paralyzed for a long time. When I could finally move, I searched my whole house for signs of an intruder and found none. I was in 7th or 8th grade. I grew up getting sleep paralysis almost nightly until midway through high school. Anytime I would fall asleep while laying on my back, I'd slip into sleep paralysis. I would always feel it coming, but I couldn't escape the pull. If that makes any sense. This was the only time I saw the man with the hat. I consider it the only time I've seen a ghost to this date. Sleep paralysis before and after that always involved shadowy figures moving around my bed that I could only sense in my peripheral. I remember being a little kid, finding myself locked in fear on my back while sleeping or in bed with these shadows. I felt I could never let them know I was aware of them or they'd get me. I stopped getting sleep paralysis after one experience where I was feeling myself being pulled down into it. This is the only way to describe the feeling of transitioning from being awake to being in sleep paralysis. Like hands are pulling you downwards and your spirit is not strong enough to pull free. I remember frantically wanting to not be pulled down, and somehow I pulled myself up and out of the hands. Since then, I haven't had sleep paralysis. I remember it feeling like a balloon inside popped, and I suddenly knew I'd never get pulled down again, and I haven't since. Sometimes I wonder if it was me, or if the three places I lived growing up happened to be haunted. Either way, I'll never forget the fear I felt upon waking and seeing the man with the hat in the doorway. I had always slept with my door open until that happened. In my twenties in the Midwest suburbs, I was introduced to a playground called the Haunted Playground that I didn't believe was haunted. After visiting at night with my friends and all of us having little creepy encounters, 
We started to hang out there semi-occasionally, over a span of like two years. We even tried to bring other friends in there and not tell them anything about the park to see if they also noticed the weirdness. A bunch of little weird things happened that I won't put here, like one time we brought a friend and they refused to get out of the car suddenly and freaked out, but three things stand out. We brought a friend that also didn't know the place was haunted and they were like, I keep seeing this thing pop up behind me, but it's just the park. And we are like, no way, dude. This place is the haunted playground. And the three of us start whisper arguing about it being haunted. Suddenly, right in the middle of our semicircle argument, this bright triangle-shaped streak of light shoots down to the ground. It was like a weird moment that slowed down with all of us watching the silver light. The best way to describe it was like a slow-motion sword reflection off the moonlight piercing the ground. <laughs> another time, with another group of friends, we heard someone stomping in the leaves, and it sounded like a human running towards us. And then this deer just walks out from behind a tree, all quiet and light-footed in the grass. A few minutes later, one of the friends suddenly starts to usher us out of the playground in a friendly but semi-urgent way, like putting hands on all of us and leading us out of the park. In my head, I was thinking the deer spooked him something good, so I kind of lagged behind a bit just looking around to see anything. On the way out of the park, you have to pass the park district clubhouse, and I see someone on the roof of clubhouse. And I strain my eyes for a moment because for a second, I'm like, oh... What's that guy doing on the roof? Almost like it could be normal for a second. But I notice the guy is all in the shadow. You can't see any details, just a head, torso, this arm holding onto the chimney, holding himself up and crouching down behind the chimney as if he doesn't want to be noticed, but also wrapped around the chimney as if he was veering around it to get a better look at us. And I think he has horns. We all get back into the car and I was like, Hey, did you make us leave about the deer? And he doesn't want to say anything until we are way out of the neighborhood. But apparently, right after the deer, he noticed the guy with horns on the roof of the clubhouse, could not rationalize what he was seeing, and just noped us all out of there as fast as he could. And then he was freaked out that I also saw the dude and even noticed the horns. After the dude with horns on the roof guy, we cut back on the visits and also discovered that you didn't need to actually go into the park to see any weird paranormal action. A girlfriend of mine went with me once after that, and we were both too chicken to get out of the car, so we parked facing the haunted playground, but over two blocks. We were smoking cigarettes and chit-chatting with the car off, lights if in the dark. The only street lights on were in the block ahead of us and on the sidewalk. The haunted playground is to the right. The conversation stops. And I'm just watching the street, and I see something coming from the direction of the haunted playground. It's just a clear outline of a person walking. It was clearly a person walking, but you could see right through the them. It was just like a weird, glowy outline of a person. But no person. So I whispered to my friend, because I am, like, freaking out about seeing a literal invisible person. Me whispering, I'm whispering right now, because there is something out there freaking me out, and I don't want it to hear us. Do you see it? Friend? Oh, thank God you see it too. Me. Tell me what you see, so I know I'm not crazy. Friend. The person walking that's not there. Me? Yeah, 
What in the ever-living F is that, friend? Are we seeing a will-o'-the-wisp right now? Me, was a will-o'-wisp, friend, a bad thing. We just watched it walk off to the left, deeper into the subdivision. We waited about five minutes and then slowly and as quiet as possible turned on the car and left. But to this day I have no idea about the guy with horns and the invisible person no person was or what they were. I don't know why this playground and the subdivision it is on is weird land, but the playground is connected to a forest that connects to a much larger forest with some spots cut through by highways or other subdivisions. Growing up, all the weird stories came from the forest area behind the haunted playground area. Cut up deer parts arranged in a ritual sacrifice that forest. Someone stole a cow from a couple towns over and mutilated it, and guess where they found the head? That same forest. Thanks for reading. This incident actually occurred last year when I was out deer hunting. I'd positioned myself against a sturdy tree perched on a log overlooking a rather sizable clearing. The time was around 9 a.m. when I suddenly heard an immense presence behind me, undoubtedly a Sasquatch. It was merely 15 yards away, and the sound of its heavy panting confirmed its colossal size. Intrigued yet cautious, I remained perfectly still, not daring to make a single movement. The minutes ticked by, and it wasn't until 9.30 a.m., approximately 15 minutes after the creature's presence ceased, that I finally gathered the courage to stand up and cautiously survey my surroundings. To my astonishment, I noticed a one-half branch that had been snapped cleanly in half, roughly three feet above the ground. The sheer force required to break such a substantial branch indicated the immense strength possessed by these creatures. New Year's Eve, 1990. One, my wife and I were walking into Boulder Cave at about 8 or 9 p.m. There was very little snow on the trail, just a skiff. It was a clear, brilliant night. No moon but crisp stars and the occasional cloud. It was dark, but we had flashlights and warm clothes, and we walking in to meet some friends and spend the night at the cave to celebrate New Year's Eve. If you were wondering, we were bother sober, having met a few years earlier in a... Back then, the United States FS wasn't worried about bats, and you could hike into the cave at any time of the year. Now it closes in the fall to preserve some mere mythical bats that may or may not live in cave. No one has ever seen these bats except for scientists, and they are probably just pulling our legs. As we made our way up the trail... Well made, not very steep, winding through the darkened pines, we could hear children's voices in the distance, like a schoolyard or a playground, or a yard full of happy children running and yelling and laughing far, far away. At first, we tried to think of what it could be, maybe someone in a cabin, or people staying at Camp Rogananda, but on our way in, we'd seen no cars or tracks or sign of anyone else in the area. Rogadunda was closed down tight and no camps, lights or fires off in the distance or by the road. What was a large group of children doing playing loudly in the distance, up a canyon, in the middle of the woods, on New Year's Eve? It couldn't be sledders because there was barely any snow, 
and it was way too late for a group of little kids to be frolicking unsupervised in the woods. It was weird and didn't make any sense, but we kept hearing it. There was an odd, consistent quality to the laughing children noise. It faded in and out of hearing, just on the edge of being there, carried by the wind as if from a great distance, funneled and shaped by the mountains and trees and streams until it found our ears, then back out again, to be lost for a moment, only to return, laughing, yelling, calling, shouting, playing children, fading in and out as we would stop and listen till it went away, then walk a few dozen more yards only to stop and listen again. We said, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And would wonder to each other what it could be. On and on as we walked up the trail, the children haunted us, laughing and screaming and yelling just beyond reason and hearing, like sound waves coming through the flames of a campfire, ghost voices traveling on the crisp night air. Anyway, we got to the cave and told our friends about it and puzzled together, but forgot about it after a while and played our flutes and listened to new age music on a boombox with cassette tapes and burned candles and talked philosophy and mystery and deep meaning around the fire until the wee hours of the morning. It was a wonderful time. Walking out, something had changed, subtly. The woods seemed a bit ominous. Maybe we were just tired. But as we made our way down the trail, my wife spotted something odd propped against the base of a tree. It was meant to be found. I think by us... I believe, we thought at the time, that it, it had been left for us by whoever or whatever made the laughing noises. As older and more cynical as I am now, I can still believe that is or could be true, though it certainly wasn't the work of children, the object. It is impossible to adequately describe the object. My mind stubbornly refuses to remember it as a whole. I remember the details of its construction and its size and general shape. My wife says it was a man, a figurine of a human. I have to believe her because when I try to picture it, my mind draws a blank. Its construction was like nothing I've ever seen before or since. It was a small, abstract figurine woven of tiny sticks, moss, pine needle, and lichen. The bear's hair moss had been braided in individual strands into tiny ropes which wove in and out of bits of lichen and tiny, tiny sticks around some bigger sticks, smaller than the diameter of a pencil. The main framework of small sticks was lashed together with what looked like the inner bark of cedar, woven into braids and tiny ropes. The workmanship was so intricate and subtle and bizarre that, as we picked it up and looked at it, we are at first amazed, then just a little bit shook. It was unworldly yet complex and woven and weaved from woodland materials, seeming gathered at random with great skill, assembled with patience and practice by tiny, nimble hands. For what purpose we had no idea. The damn thing was weird. It was easy to dismiss the laughing children as a natural phenomenon, the wind, our imaginations, or just some strange, inexplicable happenings that had a perfectly logical explanation. The figurine was real, and it wasn't on the trail side on the way up. And no one else had been to the cave while we were there. No cars, footprints, no marks in the snow, nothing. I put in in my pack, took it home, and kept it for a while, broodingly examining it closely for clues about I don't know what. 
The thing was creepy and full of bad magic, and after a while I threw it away. Fast forward this incident got filed away in my memory, and I gradually forgot about it mostly. A few years later in the mid-1990s, I got a job working for a local tribe. This job involved lots of downtime, and my native co-worker and I would talk about life and stories and such. One. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today, I casually recounted this series of events, and when I got to the part about the laughing children, his head snapped around, and he became alert and acutely interested. He quizzed me about every detail, and I recounted the story as I've told it here. He was a reticent guy, but he told me point-blank that we'd run into stick Indians and explained briefly what stick Indians are. Warning, do not bring up the subject of stick Indians with a native. It is a forbidden subject. Trust me, natives don't like to talk about stick Indians. It's impolite to bring them up in conversation. Please don't. Briefly, the true nature and physical attributes of stick Indians are unknown. No one, to my knowledge, has ever encountered a stick Indian and survived to talk about it. So the myth as recounted to me and what little I can find to read about them is that stick Indians are small, vicious, and cunning. Semi-man-like, but about three to four feet tall and very skinny, with elongated arms and legs and sharp teeth and claws on their hands and feet. They live in deep forests and are occasionally heard but never seen. The laughing that we heard is how they lure victims out into the forest, where they become disoriented and lost as they attempt to locate the children playing in the woods. If the victim is an adult, the presumption is that they are attacked and eaten, and whatever remains after the stick Indians fed are never found. The person becomes permanently lost. If the victim is a small child, the stick Indians turn them into another stick Indian through some dark stick Indian magic. This is how they get new recruits. There is much more to the legend and much more to say that others have told me since, but it is getting late and some things are best left unsaid. For a long time, I didn't feel like I should carry tales or hazard the risk of upsetting natives by speaking these things aloud. So until now, I've kept these events mostly to myself. I respect the forest mysteries, the natural world, and indigenous peoples, and honor their beliefs. The story of stick Indians would be just another interesting tale for me if I hadn't experienced them myself. Maybe, as such, I was privileged with the information I describe here, and believe I relayed as honestly and accurately as I am able. Maybe it wasn't real, 
And maybe you don't believe me, or maybe there is an explanation for it all that makes sense. But know this, as a practical matter, warn your children. Tell them not to follow the sound of children playing when they are in the woods. Tell them is. They follow the sound of children in the distance. They might get lost and never come back. Like other legends and myths and tales, there is a kernel of truth at the center, and some truths are bigger than others. For me, I don't know what to think about what happened to us. I only know that it did. Each time I sleep, I leave my phone on the bed in front of me on the other side as the bed is very large and there's all that empty space. I can see the phone at all times and it's just a routine to leave it there every time. I laid down and closed my eyes and was about to sleep when suddenly I hear this weird and rough vibrating noise from my pillow right into my head. I immediately opened my eyes, terrified, but didn't want to move because I was trying to process what's going on. I was staring at my phone the entire time this was happening as I was trying to understand where this is coming from, and it was not coming from my phone. After it stopped, I looked under the pillow to try to understand how this happened, but there was nothing there. Not only the fact my phone was too far away to be the cause of this noise, my phone vibrates and breaks, not one long vibration, and it does not vibrate for so long. It's also never that loud. The pillow was slightly moving along with the noise as if something was directly under it. I've only had sleep paralysis once, and this was not it. I had not fallen asleep yet at the time. I moved soon after the noise and movement stopped and did not feel like I couldn't move in the first place. Does anyone have the slightest idea what the hell happened? This is one thing that's going to keep bugging me as I cannot explain it at all. Me and my buddies decided to embark on a thrilling adventure by going camping in the mountains for two weeks. We were eager to escape the bustling city life and immerse ourselves in the tranquility of nature. Little did we know that this trip would take an unexpected turn, forever etched in our memories. As we set up our campsite, the crisp mountain air filled our lungs and the breathtaking scenery enveloped us. Each day was filled with hiking, fishing, and sharing stories around the crackling fireplace under the starlit sky. Our bond grew stronger and laughter echoed through the woods. However, one fateful morning, our carefree spirits were shattered by a gruesome discovery. I awoke to an eerie silence, only to be met with the sight of a dead cow lying motionless next to our once warm and inviting fireplace. Shock and confusion gripped us as we approached the scene. The cow's lifeless body was marred by deep, claw-like marks that covered its entire corpse. It was a horrifying sight, the aftermath of a brutal encounter. We were filled with a mixture of fear, disbelief, and a profound sense of unease. How had this happened? And more unsettlingly, how had we slept through it? The realization sunk in that we were not alone in these mountains. Something sinister lurked in the shadows silently observing our every move. We couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched, and the safety of our campsite had been compromised. Our idyllic retreat had transformed into a chilling mystery, one we couldn't ignore. Fear tightened its grip on us, overshadowing the once adventurous spirit that brought us here. 
The joyful camaraderie we had cherished now gave way to a sense of vulnerability. We knew deep down that it was time to abandon our expedition, to retreat from the unknown dangers lurking in the wilderness. Reluctantly, we packed our belongings, leaving behind the serenity we had sought. The mountains that had initially welcomed us with open arms now held a menacing aura. The memories we had created would forever be shadowed by the enigma surrounding that dead cow. As we trekked back to civilization, our conversations grew somber. We exchanged speculative theories about the mysterious predator that had invaded our campsite, questioning the true nature of the wilderness we had dared to explore. It was a journey that had changed us, awakening a primal fear of the unknown and reminding us of our vulnerability in the face of nature's unyielding forces. Years have passed since that ill-fated camping trip, yet the memory of the dead cow remains vivid in my mind. It serves as a poignant reminder that sometimes, even in the pursuit of adventure, it is necessary to acknowledge the signs and heed the warnings. The mountains may still call to me, but I approach them now with a new-found reverence, forever mindful of the secrets they hold. So I often go up to Alaska to visit my grandparents and go fly fishing. It has to be my favorite hobby besides music. Anyways, this one summer when I was about 14, I had an interesting experience. Well, we had my grandfather hiking down this trail to our favorite fishing spot. It's about an eight-hour walk. We carry intense food and fishing gear. Anyways, when we are about halfway through the walk, we find that in the middle of the trail is what looks like in a giant A. Two trees were broken at the stump on either side of the trail and leaned against each other at the tips. These were these medium-sized bushy pine trees you see all over the mountainsides. So we think nothing of it and pass under it and keep walking until we finally get to our campsite. When we get there, we find more trees broken like the one before, not just haphazardly, but literally the exact same way. Both me and my grandfather are confused as hell about this, but whatever, it's probably some dumbasses that found this place and wanted to scare people. Oh, well, people were here messing around. Let's get set up. So we do and settle in for the night. I'm in my single-person tent, and my grandfather is in his a few feet away. I fall asleep pretty quick. Sometime later that night, my grandfather starts shaking me by the shoulder and telling me to wake up. I crawl out of the tent to look around. It was that time of year that night is just perpetual twilight, so we could still see pretty well. All of a sudden, I hear this high-pitched scream. Like if you ever heard a lynx scream, it would have been pretty much dead on, but it had some weird twings to it. We both wrote it off as such, but I still thought something was off about it as we sat there listening to it. The next morning, we got up and started fishing. It was going great. Both me and my grandfather had caught a lot of grayling. We had moved down to where our backs were to this berm that was covered in brush. At the top were these good-sized rocks. After, well, uh, about 30 minutes there, we hear this loud racket coming from camp like someone was throwing shit around. That same lynx scream was coming from the direction of our camp. And as soon as that one scream went up, a second one started from behind the berm. We both flip around and start looking at the berm while glancing back to camp. We start seeing something moving just over the other side. 
This weird-looking head kept popping up and down. It was a dark gray head shaped like Patrick Starr's. We only saw what we thought was the forehead and up. Before we could make it out this boulder, no joke, bigger than me at the time, comes flying over and lands right in front of me and my grandfather. Of course we bolt back to camp. When we get there we find that all of our gear is trashed. The tent had shreds in it. Our coolers were thrown everywhere and our packs torn open. We heard the dam scream again and started running. We ran and ran and ran until I puked. All the while we would hear whoops and the screams from far off behind us. When we made it back to that a shape thing, the trees were snapped in half and thrown to the side. We finally made it back to my grandfather's truck and drove the F out of there. Never going back there again. And I don't want to know what it was, and frankly, I don't care. I'm just glad I got out of there. One... I used to live in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere in Missouri when I was younger. My cousins living right across the field from us and grandparents living right down the road. Anyway, us kids would go out playing in the woods. Usually we stayed pretty close to the house, but one day we wandered pretty far into the woods just to see what we can find. We end up coming out of the woods in this open field on this hill that overlooks a huge field of crops. In the middle of hill is a super worn down green cabin, decent size, probably barn size. Being kids, of course, we go to check it out. Inside are books, really, really old books, and not like books on shelves like some secret library. No, a huge mound of books like flowing out of the house. You couldn't even see the floor of the cabin. Just humongous pile of books took up every room, every cabinet, and in the first big room, I guess what was a living room area. My cousin could almost touch the ceiling when he was standing at the top of the pile. Drove past it about two years ago. There's a back road by the farmer's field that looks up at the hill. The cabin's torn down now, with orange tape wrapped around it. One of the oddest things I've ever experienced in my life. I live in Delhi, India and love the Himalayas for its beautiful snow peaks and never miss a chance to go there, whether solo or with group. I always avoided the popular tourist places. I had my fair share of strange, creepy experiences, but this one beats them all. However, I was not alone, but with a friend, and it happened around ten years back. We spent a night at Shimoli, then we take small road from it. Instead of sticking to our plan and decided to explore that area, and went quite far that there were no cell phone signals and no villages nearby. After 3 p.m., we fortunately saw a local cowboy and asked him for a hotel nearby. He told us that there is one hotel on a nearby road. After one hour, we reached that hotel. The hotel owner was surprised to see us, said that he normally gets very few visitors. We were pretty tired and went to sleep after dinner. During sleep, I had this weird dream. I remember it very vaguely now. I saw three beautiful women, probably in threes, all in traditional dress and jewelry, kind of centuries old, never seen before. I could not understand their language. It was not Hindi. It was like we all four sitting in there talking to each other and to me, probably trying to explain something to me, but I just could not understand what they are saying. 
and I woke up in the morning and talked to my friend about this. He also had the same dream, and it was the same three ladies. Imagine our reaction. We were shocked, horrified, and wanted to get out of there ASAP. We went to hotel owner. He looked at our face and started laughing. He then said, Looks like you dreamed last night, and we must have seen the three ladies in the dream. This really freaked us out. However, he told us a story about dreams. This dream happens to all the new travelers and only happened first time and not again. He said he also had the same dream when he bought that hotel and stayed there for first time. He also said he wanted to experience that dream again and again as three women are really beautiful. And nearby villagers also told about this dream to hotel owner. The local legend is that those three women were queens of a local king long time back. The king had a war with invading Islamic army, and when news of king being martyred arrived, they all decided to become sadi before the invading king arrives. They all died on that mountain. Before that, I was totally a science guy and never believed in things like that, but after experiencing it firsthand, I now believe in things like this. My co-driver and I generally took contracts from Utah to Pennsylvania, and we would make those deliveries in less than 48 hours. It was always finding contracts back that was a little trickier, but eventually we'd find two or three contracts that would lead us back to Utah. I wasn't comfortable with driving at night, but my co-driver loved it. So he drove during the night, and I drove during the day. This would change once winter hit, because the days were a lot shorter. I would start my shift sometime around 5-7 a.m. so that my co-driver could start his shift around 6-8 p.m. One time we had to make a delivery with a very tight deadline, and to make it as efficient as possible, that meant I would have to drive several hours after sunset. Since we were out in the boonies, it was pitch black on the highway with the occasional speeding car or truck that the darkness would engulf within a mile. I would have been more at ease if there was a fellow truck on the road with me because it would have increased my line of sight, but this wasn't the case. I was the only one on the road at that time, and I could only see as far as my headlights. Then, before I knew it, I saw someone standing at the side of the road. I thought it was a hitchhiker, but the person wasn't looking at me. When I got closer, the person jumped in front of the truck. I screamed and shifted down so quick. The commotion made my co-driver jump out of the cab, and I explained what happened while parking the truck on the shoulder. We checked the front of the truck, but there was no sign that I hit anything. I was too chicken to go look for that person, so my co-driver went to check, but he found no one. 